on the whole Jewish people, Bezrat Hashem, our words should go up, create a cloud of protection, and just protect all the chayalim, and should heal anyone who needs healing, and bring back the chatufim, and all the blessings, Bezrat Hashem. And the feet of the animal. My name is Kalman, Kuf Lamin Memnun, or Rav Kalman, in, that's my name. Um, and uh, what's your claim to fame? What's my claim to fame? I'll, so I'll tell you a little bit. So I'm really excited to give this series of Shirim. Um, yeah, so let me explain, because maybe not everyone knows. Um, this is the introductory class of a series, which I've been reading to teach for like 10, 15 years. Okay, so it's really exciting. I'm like 20 years old. That's what they say. You gave me a, a good couple of years. Usually they like card me. They don't let me buy wine at the, at, you know, at the stores unless I have a really big beard. Um, but actually, I, w I wanted to, to explain why uh, I've been planning this year for like 15 years. And I think that will help us explain where, this, where we're coming from. What's the angle of this particular class? Okay, the class is called... Um, strengthening our amuna, being mechazik, our, our, our faith in the Lord Almighty, praise be He. And each class is meant to be a, you know, a, a part of the evidence we're building to prove that the Torah is true and God exists and Torah and mitzvahs are worthwhile ways to spend our lives. Okay, and each class is going to be one angle of how do we get there. Okay, uh, and this class is not that, this class is an introduction. To what we're going to be doing in the next couple of classes. Um, I, I, I hope that I sent some source sheets of like what the topics will be, and I, I guess it didn't arrive here, so we'll do it balpe. I'll tell you balpe some of the topics that we're intending on covering. Bezrat Hashem in a little bit, okay? Um, so that's the basic idea. Um, now, why have been why was I so excited when a lady called me up a few weeks back? I was I just finished my reserves uh, on Friday. So I've been in the army for the last three and a half months. So uh, it gave me something to work on. The, this course, this curriculum, gave me a lot of on my free time in the army. I was uh, trying to put together these uh, this course curriculum. And before I did that, I was thinking why why I am so excited and why I've been hesitant to give this class for so long. So let's start from the beginning. Okay. So I was born in Brooklyn, and I did not fit in really in my class, in my community, even in my family. It was like a fish out of water. It didn't make sense in that I was, since I've been a little kid, really excited about Judaism. Like really excited about Torah, learning Torah, about talking to God. I remember when I was a little kid, I was like 10, Friday night, I would have a whole conversation with God in my stoop and I would thank him and about mitzvot. And I knew I wanted to be a rabbi since I was like nine or ten. I don't remember ever not wanting to be a rabbi uh, to teach Torah and mitzvot to whoever I could. So I, I've been thinking back and reflecting, why is that? Where did that come from? So the, maybe the simplest answer I might give is it was natural. Like it was not a particular rabbi who had influence. I didn't go to a class. I didn't read a book. I imagine it has something to do with my soul in a previous reincarnation that came down here to, to do that. That's, that's, I've always felt very strongly that's what I'm here in this world to do. Um, but I was thinking about other aspects of, of why I knew so strongly that this is my mission. Um, and one is, I, I think I'm born to be a truth seeker. I, I naturally try to be aligned 
And I find it unhappy, unpleasant when I'm uh, being hypocritical. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's, it, it, I'm not blaming anyone, but to live a Judaism where you're, it's bifurcated, where you pick and choose certain mitzvahs that you're passionate about, that you do, you go to, come to shul, but you're not really into it. You know, and then you have to say in your davening, like, it's my life, everything. And then you read the text and they're so passionate and committed to Judaism. And you yourself are like, like some things, yes, but other things you're afraid of because it's too hard. It didn't, that type of Judaism never appealed to me. It seemed intellectually dishonest and it seemed um, just not fun, not, not happy, not enjoyable. So since I've been a little kid, I was always like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be either I'm in or I'm out. And if I'm in, I'm all in. At the same time, I, I've been born into a community which is quite open-minded so and tolerant. And I read a lot to, to understand that there's different, within you know Orthodox Judaism, there are many streams and there's a lot to learn from. And that's just also come very natural to me to be kind of open-minded and to call from the best of, 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 the, of our world. Um, so that the tr truth is something that has always appealed to me, um, and um, and 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 I really have always been obsessed with not wasting time since I'm a little kid. So it's not always so healthy, um, but I really hate wasting time. And I I've never been part of the other religions, but I imagine that Judaism is the best way to live for people like me, people who hate wasting time, because. Every second, you literally have a mitzvah to do. Right? It could be learning Torah, it could be doing chesed, it could be now with WhatsApp, there's endless shiduchim, there's endless mitzvah opportunities. And when you learn Torah from a young age, you know that every single mitzvah you do is eternally valuable. And so your life is just filled with so much meaning and therefore so powerful and so happy. And I think that's the exact antidote of the world we live in now, unfortunately, which has so much doubt. And when you live in a, a godless world, it basically leads, leads to a meaningless world, which leads to a joyless world because it doesn't really matter. My, my life is not significant. So what I'm trying to say is Judaism gave me a ton of joy because it gives every moment of my life uh, meaning. You with me so far? Yeah. I did grow up from a little bit different than I am now, but I grew up on a Shomer Shabbat uh, and Kashrus family, Baruch Hashem. I was zoiche to be that. Um, which I think is actually a good thing. Sometimes people think the only people who give these shears proving Judaism are Bali Chuvas who have the cool stories. And I'm like, no, it's okay to try to intellectually come, you know, come to Judaism, even if you're not a Bali Chuva. That's okay too for all the rest of us. So I think that's, that's I hope you won't hold it against me. And I'm not a, a real Balchuva. Okay. Uh, okay. Give out. You know, I'll be friends here. If you have any questions, thoughts, want to just comment at any point, you can cut me off. It's okay. Um, so, quick, then the rest of my life. So, basically, I became obsessed with Judaism. And in particular, when I was in high school, and I would read any book about proving Judaism that I could. Because I had this dream in my head that I was going to be a big rabbi. I was going to be a college campus uh, campus rabbi. My brother went to Cornell, and I like really liked the campus rabbi there. So I had in my head that was my mission in life was to be an outreach rabbi. And I worked in a lot of outreach camps, Camp Nagila, Camp Shalom, all of these different uh, camps. Um, and I had all these kids over for Shabbos since I was like 15. Every Shabbos, we'd have different Russian kids come to my house for Shabbos. And I was very, very involved in outreach since I was a little kid. And I, you know... 
I wasn't, I loved learning with my free time. I would go to the MTA uh, library and I would just pile up books and books because I couldn't decide which one to read first. So I just put like 12 books there and then like I would end up reading like one or two of them. But like I, I have a hard time deciding. I like a lot of things. So um, so that was that was naturally uh, who I was growing up. I really wanted to have the answers to all these questions. And not only did I want to have answers to teach other people, but I myself um, had a lot of questions. I'm a curious type of guy. I try to be intellectually honest. And so, for example, I remember in uh, 12th grade, I did my, my Torah science project uh, on Torah and science, are they compatible? And I really wanted to, I really struggled with that question. Like, we believe the Torah is true, but there's all this science and seems to pose a lot of issues with our understanding of science, of, 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 of Torah and science. How do we align them? And I remember I mamish just went through dozens of books, like many, many different approaches from Rav Soloveitchik's perspective to the Baba Jarebi's perspective to Rav Nathan Ibiezer's perspective to Dr. You know, mamish across the spectrum and just tried to categorize this, this perspective, that perspective, this perspective, until it really made sense to me. Like, until I really felt like okay, this doesn't bother me anymore. I have not only one answer, but I have 10 different answers. And, and that, was, that was really what I immersed myself in high school and a little bit of yeshiva. Um, just after yeshiva, I decided to make aliyah. I stayed in Israel and kind of changed kibbutzim. I didn't uh, become an outreach rabbi immediately. I, I went to the army and I uh, went to Bar Ilan University and I studied Chumash. Uh, one of the, that is, I, I wasn't, I wanted, I love teaching Chumash. Um, and Baruch Hashem, I still teach Chumash. Actually, some of the guys, we, we just came from Chumash here together. Um, but I also wasn't, kind of was excited about interacting with even some non-Orthodox classical ways of looking at things and still trying to find my answers and standing up against that. And indeed, it, ha it was helpful to, to help me um, for my Hashkafa. Uh, but the truth is most of the professors in Barilan are from, and so you don't really have to struggle with it too much there. Um, and then I, I, I started working as a rabbi at Yeshiva Taraita, I got smicha, and worked for about 10 years in the American Yeshiva world, uh, where I still dabble a little bit in yeshivas and seminaries, and I've, I've taught in about, uh, in like 10 different yeshivas and seminaries. I'm 37, despite, uh, despite the rumors. Um, and... And I oh so and I worked as a as tour guide. In the last five six years, I've started working as a tour guide, trying to carve people to Eretz Israel through a different type of way. So why did I give you that long-winded introduction? First of all, I think when you hear, you know, where I'm coming from, you'll understand for the next couple of weeks where the Torah is coming from from a different perspective. But also, one interesting thing I noticed is that I'm 37. I always want to be an outreach rabbi, and I've never taught this course. I've never taught straight up. Why is it that we believe that the Torah is true? And I was asking myself, why is that? Why have I been so afraid? I taught in literally over 100 classes in every aspect of Jewish life, Hasidus, Kabbalah, Chumash, Gemara, Halacha. I never did this class. So why is it? Why, why have I been so afraid to just, to just do it, to just take on head on? Why do we believe in God? Why do we believe the Torah is true? What do you guys think? Why, why was I so scared? It's, it's controversial. Okay, why is it controversial? Yeah, I think I, I think it's a little scary. It's scary because what if I walk into the room and I'm supposed to have all the answers, and then you don't like my answers very much. So you came in here, you were fine, and now I, I broke, brought all these questions, and I didn't. You didn't like my perspective. 
um, I'll, I'll just share a memory. I remember uh, about 10 years ago, um, I was working as a starting rabbi at Yeshiva Raita, and we went to the Discovery Seminar. And everyone was so excited. Ish gives his presentations about proving God. And I remember I was listening. I was excited. I was writing notes. There were some things that I loved, some things maybe I agreed with less, some things I agreed with more. And the, I, I saw one of my students, uh, Nate, and, and he just walked out in anger when one of the kids, when one of the rabbis said something that he didn't like. And so it was really confusing to me. So after the shear, I went over to Nate. Um, I was good friends with him. And I said, Nate, what's, what's on your mind? And we sat down. We had a good two-hour conversation, why he didn't like that argument about the Bible codes. And we talked it out. And at the end of the day, he, by the end of the conversation, he was like, actually, I guess I hear where the rabbi was coming from. And it just didn't, it wasn't my thing. But I remember his anger. He walked out in anger against that rabbi who was just trying to make his argument about why he believed the Torah was true. And it, it just reminded me that people are really triggered by these topics, you know, and not necessarily always from a rational place. It might be that his uncle, uh, you know, really hated uh, gematriots for some reason. And that was his, and so his association with that was, was very negative. And so he wasn't able to be completely rational. And so he walked away in anger. So I think this is a touchy topic, the topics that we're going to be talking about during, over the course of this seminar. Nonetheless, Hopefully, by me bringing this up, I'm hoping and davening and, 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 and preparing us that let's not be that. Even though Nate's an amazing guy. I love Nate. But let's not be Nate because he, he was, his heart was clogged towards that perspective. Instead, let's take a pen and paper. Let's hear the, the argument. And if we don't like it, we'll write it down as a question. As Let's discuss afterwards with the rabbi and let's uh, schmooze it out. But let's be open-minded. Let's throw away all of our prior preconceptions and misconceptions or whatever it was and mamas just be open to the, the court case which we're trying to present okay the second uh you know thing that story reminds me is i may not now have all the answers okay i'm not going to pretend like we there, there aren't good questions there are good questions and that's okay and we'll try together as a team to come up with answers to the best of our ability but if there's a particular approach which doesn't speak to your heart, that's okay. There'll be other approaches that hopefully will, uh, will, will reach, reach your heart. Is that good? Makes sense? You guys with me? We're going to overcome that fear. I think the other reason why I've been hesitant to, to do it because it's a lot easier, I think, to show people the truth of Judaism and Torah when you don't go directly, but you'd go like this. You go around. Okay, so what I started doing since I was 20 is I started a, an organization which has big Shabbos meal and invites people to experience a Shabbos with singing and tefillah and a Karbach minion and, and l'chaims. And, and in that way, experientially, people understand what Judaism is. And toch if they have any questions about the veracity of Judaism, to, of course, to, be, to have answers for their questions. But the truth is, as we'll talk about more today, generally people don't come to the truth of Judaism only from an intellectual place, but rather also from an experiential, emotional place. And it's, in, in my opinion, probably the best way to show someone the truth of Judaism is not the direct approach which we're going to be trying, but rather to immerse them in 
Torah, to have them see the depth of Torah, to have them experience a Hasidist here, to have them dance on a Friday night at the Kotel, to have them see the warmth of a Shabbos home, etc., etc. And once you've experienced the complexity of Torah, the beauty of Torah life, the question almost doesn't begin, right? Like Rosh Lama Karbach asked, why don't we start the Seder with the four questions? Instead, how do we start the Seder? With Kaddish. First, you have to experience Kadusha, and then ask any question in the world, okay? But first, first, it makes more sense to experience the Kedusha, and then you're not asked, and the way you ask the question is a different type of question. It's asking a question towards God and not about God, okay? So that's why the truth is, I, I think it's important that we immerse ourselves in Torah and Torah lifetime, and that, that's really the best answer to these tons of questions. Nonetheless, on a personal level, I experience how these books that I read growing up I'm talking about uh, Permission to Believe and Permission to Receive by Lawrence Kellerman and all these books, uh, Torah and Science and, uh, you know, Ian Stevenson and all his research on reincarnation and, and uh, all these miracle stories that we're going to talk about throughout our course gave me personally a tremendous chizuk. Even though I believed in God, I believed in the truth of Torah, nonetheless, seeing how these very smart, rational arguments gave me that extra push to have more kavana in my davening, to have more, you know, step in my mitzvahs. And I think many other people also benefit from these types of works. So even though there's all that fear associated with, uh, with it, we're going to jump right into it. And it, it, with the tefillah, that, uh, that it should mechazik our amuna and strengthen and give us more uh, vibrance in our Torah and mitzvahs. Yeah, good. I got any questions? We're happy. Yeah. The regulars of this state address had no idea you specifically were coming. It just said we're going to start something at 11. But we have all these people here, so there's some communication going on that I'm not Okay. Yeah, so afterwards we'll figure out uh, the communication. Uh, we'll have to figure out the communication. Very good. Okay. Um, the source sheets didn't come. So we're going to do Torah Shabbat Peh. You know, this week we got the Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu, from, from Hashem, so... We'll, 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 we'll practice our listening skills. I'm just going to um, pull up the source sheet from Safaria. One second. And the topic of today's introductory class is what is Amuna? What is faith? Um, or is that the right word? What is belief? And do miracles help in getting us towards Amuna? Hashkacha um, practice of the day is I wrote this class in the bunker two months ago, mm-hmm. and only today did we realize that it's Parshas Yitro, it's all about Amuna, it's all about believing in God. In fact, in our Chabura today, we were learning about the mitzvah of Anochi Hashem Lokecha and the commandment of the Rambam to study matters of Amuna. So the Hashkacha is just incredible. Um, but uh, anyway, that's, that's the topic uh, that I wanted to speak about today. And I want to start off with a very simple question. Last week's Parsha, we had the splitting of the sea. And we have a very famous pasuk where it says, Yisrael at the Yad And the Jewish people saw the great hand, Asher Asa Hashem in Mitzrayim, which um, God did in Egypt. And the people believed in God and in Moses, his servant. Here at the splitting of the sea, it's the first time where Am Yisrael Mamish believe. You gotta believe 
They believed in the Lord Almighty after witnessing the miracles of the splitting of the sea. That's amazing. They finally believed in God. And what's the obvious question that we should ask when seeing this verse? If we interpret the, the, the verse as I did, that they believed in God, now they finally believe in God, what question might come to our minds? I just said like they didn't believe yet. <laughs> exactly. Beautiful question. You see some frogs, all the frogs coming out across the world and attacking you. You see the entire sea turn to blood. You see hail. You see literally the firstborn child dying just as God predicted. And you don't believe? You know, nah, maybe. I don't know. Could be. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the fence. But then you see the water split. And, oh, I'm all in. Okay. Did they go from not Oh, okay. So it's an interesting. In other words, they believed that there was a God, or there was a power, but maybe something about the splitting of the sea somehow brought them to a belief in one God. Okay, but then, then we'd have to kind of ask ourselves, why? Why? What dafka, what specifically about the splitting of the sea led them towards believing in the one God more than killing the firstborn? And that's pretty miraculous, too. So what, why, why only then... The, do they, do they seem to acknowledge or believe God? Okay, but again, so again, why specifically at the splitting of the sea would the be superseding more than the other miracles? Was it just a super miracle? What, what was it about the splitting of the sea? So look a good rabbi. I'm going to answer, answer my question with another question, okay? Here's another pasuk, which I think... Is, 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 is quite uh, complex if we go with the simple explanation of the word emuna meaning belief. Okay? So, in Bamidbar Chaf Yudbeth, God tells Moses and Aaron that you did bad. Remember, you hit the rock. You shouldn't have hit the rock. You should have spoke to the rock. And what does God say? You didn't believe in me. Lakdisheni to sanctify me before the Jewish people. You didn't believe in me, Moshe and Aaron. You would have believed in me, then you would have spoke to the rock. But you hit the rock, Moshe and Aaron, you didn't believe in God. Okay? And that's why you're not going to go to the land of Israel, because you didn't believe. So ask me a good question. Sorry? Aaron was there? Aaron was there? Moshe and Aaron. Oh, okay, that's a different question for another shir as to why is Aaron being punished uh, for Moshe's sin? Excellent question. But I want to stick to uh, on our topic of emuna, on, on the word emuna. If we're defining emuna as the way which I said before, believe. So what's strange about this verse when God tells Moses and Aaron, you didn't believe in me? If we're translating the word, you didn't believe in me. God tells Moses, you don't believe in me. And that's why you're not going to go to the land of Israel. If you, if you translate emuna as intellectual understanding, a, a not, a, an understanding, a belief that there is such a thing as God, what's strange about this verse? Oh, so question number one is, I thought Moshe believed. And now you're saying he doesn't believe? So what's going on here? Second, a related question is, really? Moshe didn't believe, Aaron didn't believe in God? 
I mean, remember the whole rest of the story? And Moshe's talking to God at Harsinai, this week's parasha, the whole Torah, he's interacting with God. So if emuna means um, to be aware, an intellectual understanding that there is a God, then the, how does that add up? How could it be that Moshe and Aaron didn't believe in God, that they didn't, how does that make any sense? Okay? Yeah. Is it, is it part of um, um, Moshe's anger at the people? He had, uh, Moshe assumed the authority that God did not give him and struck the, the rock in anger instead of, instead of speaking to the rock. Correct. So he did something wrong. We're all we're all in agreement. What he did wrong, we need you know a full series just on that. And your theory is a, an excellent one. But I just want to focus on the word emuna. So how do we translate that word emuna in this context? In the context of motion earn, you're your arch girl. Okay. Translate the word yan lohe mantembi because you did not. I think it's really trust. In, in, you know, it doesn't emuna intellectual emuna doesn't make sense like. Like you say, it's more like trust. Yeah, fair. So I think the Rebbe of Larry is suggesting that emuna here must not mean intellectual awareness of God. Certainly Moshe and Aaron had that. It means you didn't trust me. Okay? What the Chazanish famously distinguished between emuna and bitachon, right? Intellectual knowledge, emuna and bitachon means I trust in God. Perhaps in a biblical sense, emuna means a trust in, 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 in God's plan, even if it doesn't make sense to you, okay? So maybe Larry's pushing us towards a more, a more complex uh, understanding, a, more, a deeper understanding of what Amuna means, okay? By the way, plug that back now into... Now we could explain the splitting of the yeah, sea. Yeah, now plug that back into the splitting of the sea. The, now does it make sense that the people had Amuna at the splitting of the sea? Somehow they had more of a trust. They had more of a... Uh, of a they saw the Egyptians about to attack them, and then God swooped them in. They, their lives were at, at, at stake, unlike the other maklos where they didn't really feel the danger. Now they felt in danger, and then God swoops them up and saves them, and maybe there's more of a degree of trust there. Yeah, but then after that, do they complain about that we're going to die in the desert, you're going to leave us? Yeah, so fair. it seems like they, they lose trust right quickly. Exactly, right? So exactly. And, and, and once again, Larry, you're bringing us to a very profound point. Which is that kanil e emuna is not something you have. It's not. I went to a discovery seminar. I believe in God. I'm done. I'm good. Okay. Let me go study some Rambam. No, emuna apparently fluctuates. Apparently, it can go up and can go down, and it needs constant reinforcement, which is one of the takeaways we're going to take from this. And that's that seems to be pasht pshat as to what's happening to the Jewish people. A minute later, they're 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 going down, and that's that's how we are. That's the nature of life. Okay. One more, uh, maybe two more examples to just drive this point home. Uh, a third example of the word emuna, I think, being used in this concept was when Moshe Rabbeinu reviews that the Jewish people are not coming to the land of Israel. And again, it's the same lushan of emuna. It's the same, you, you, didn't, you, you saw all the miracles in the desert and you didn't have emuna. Yeah, you're not going to go to the land of Israel because you didn't have emuna. And again, after witnessing all of the mana and all of the miracles of the desert, could it be that that generation didn't intellectually believe in God? Lo yitachan. It can't be. Rather, what's our, our new definition of emuna? It's not just an intellectual awareness. It's emuna, intellect that goes to your kishkas, that goes to your heart. It leads you towards action. 
right? leads you to trust, okay, is the Larry explanation. I think there's one amazing verse, and this is a Rabbi David Foreman's Chiddush, that really brings this concept home. And it's in the story of Amalek, okay, two parshas ago, if I remember correctly, when the, the Torah tells like this. Okay, the background is, we got the Amalekites and they're fighting the Jews. And what's Moshe's job when the Amalekites are fighting the Jews? Raise your hands. I, I've been using this for the last three months because in order to get to my base, there was no, there's no way to get there without a car. So whenever I needed a tramp, I would just raise my hands to Hashem and hope that I get a tramp. And it always worked. Unbelievable. Baruch Hashem. Like I got, somehow I got to the base every time through the kindness of the locals. Unfortunately not. So it was a lot, Hashem got me there. Anyways, um, so try it at home. Whenever you need a cab, just lift up your hands. And everything, if you, what did I learn from the year with Rav Kalman today? Whenever you need a cab, just lift up your hands. That's the most important thing you got from today. Anyway, so Moshe's, Moshe's lifting up his hands, okay? And who's helping him out? No. Aaron, and he makes a cameo appearance only once. Chur. Chur, the son of Miriam, Okay. He, had, he sits down on a rock. And Aaron and Chur are sitting there. Each one is on one side. And his hands, Moshe's hands are emuna. Translate that word. What does it mean that Moshe's hands are emuna? Moshe's hands are going to give the people faith. Okay, I love it. It's a, it's a very creative, but it's a nice explanation. Moshe's hands are going to do... It, it could have said it a little bit more. It could have been or something. But okay. Any other, yeah? Daniel? Oh, bringing his intellectual understanding into practice... And being loyal and steadfast in his, not in his belief, but in his belief coming to action. His belief is, I got to keep my hands up. People are going to die if I put my hands down. That's in his brain. But then what happens when you put your hand up for a long time? It's hard. Try that, okay, for, I don't, for 10 minutes. Your brain's like, I know I need it up, but it comes start going down. And he was steadfast. He, even though it was hard, he kept loyal to his values. Okay? So if you ask me, that's the best way to define Imuna. I'm loyal to my true belief inside despite the challenges. I know it's a little bit of a long-winded uh, definition, but if you ask, some, ask someone, ask you, what does it mean to have Imuna? Quote them this story. Tell them about Moshe Rabbeinu and his hands being Imuna. His hands being true to his belief. Yeah? Adkan? So again, it's an intellectual, emotional experience that's bringing me to action. Uh, just to buttress that claim, what do we say after we hear a bracha? We say, amen. We're bringing, we're, we're, we're bringing into action. We're, not, we, we, we're on board, okay? How do we say exercise in Hebrew? Hitamen. It's an action of practicing. It's, I'm, I'm working on it every single day. It goes up and down, but I'm working on and strengthening my my belief through through, through whatever I do to, to strengthen my immunity.
Okay? Yafe. One more insight on this thought. Every day, what's the first feel that we say? Modan. Modan. Okay. Let's translate that verse. Yeah? As soon as you wake up. Yeah. Truth is, the real question is when's the latest? You could wake up at four in the afternoon and you could also say it then. You could, at any point, Moda'ani does not have the shame Hashem. And so you could, whenever you just feel like you need to wake up. If you want, you could say Moda'ani whenever you want. It's a special thing to say. But anyways, what does Raba Emunatecha mean? Translate that phrase. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your, but, it's, but when thinking about faith here, it's your loyalty. Even though, you know, I gave Ariel life, no, I won't talk about it. I gave common life yesterday and he didn't live up to my expectations. His mind was wandering during Shemona Esrei. He didn't say a good bracha. His ashigatra was a little too fast. I'm still going to give him life because I believe today's a new day. He's going to wake up. He's going to be a better jit. You get it? And I'm going to be loyal to him and loyal to my belief, God's belief, so to speak, that things can be better, that there's still hope. That, that, so maybe that's a new way of taking this year every single day. Rabbi Emunatecha, God has faith. God, God is, is, is loyal. Okay? Yafe. Beautiful. Adkan. Okay, so that was part one. What is Emunah? We've defined the word, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get um, toward that loyalty towards our values, okay? This brings me to part two. There's, let's say, three parts of the class, which is, how do we get to faith? I touched on this in my introduction. How do we get towards that loyalty towards being the best Jew I can be, towards our neshama, towards God? How do we get to that? What are, what are some ways in which we can get toward, towards that? Oh, it could be you just show up and come to this class, and that's it. But, um, yeah, fair. So uh, maybe I'll categorize that as intellectually learning, open up a book, listen to the rabbi. Um, As the Rambam says, in this week's Torah portion, we have the first dibur. And the discussion, is that a commandment? So the Rambam says, yes, there's a commandment to know that there is one Lord. And how do I fulfill that mitzvah? What do I need to do? I need to learn. I need to open up the books, read more. I need to learn philosophically, why there is a God. That's the Rambam's approach to how do I get towards Emunah. Yeah. Um, I want to just add who else is on the Rambam team. Some of the famous guys are the Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch writes, or somewhere, that there is a positive mitzvah to do what we're doing right now, to study these onion ends. If one merits to rise in levels of wisdom, his heart will understand and his eyes will see with the sealed proof that this belief that he believes is true and clear. It is impossible that there be something besides this. Then he will fulfill this positive mitzvah in the best way. Okay, so learning about Amuna, what we're doing right now is fulfilling a mitzvah according to the Chinuch, according to the Rambam, and according to Rabbeinu Bachya. In his book, Chovo Talavavot, famously explains that we can't be like the blind leading the blind. We need to learn intellectually R- rationally, why there is a God and why the Torah and mitzvahs are true. Okay. This intellectual school of thought that built up the Hasidut. Intellectual school of Hasidut. Yafeh. Yafeh. But once you already mentioned Hasidut, there's another, I think, approach, another angle 
about how we come towards this emuna. Okay? And that is a Hasidic. I'm not, there, there are many different perspectives in Hasidus, but I'll just call it the Hasidus, maybe you call it the Rabbi Nachman uh, perspective. And how do we get towards Emunah? How do we how do we do that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one way of putting it. Um, I'll just say this. Rav Nachman writes in Sikha Saran, he is very against philosophical inquiry towards the getting towards the, the truth of Judaism. He doesn't think it helps us. He writes this many, many times throughout the Kutei Maran, and of course he's not alone. Many other Hasidic rabbis um, say that philosophical inquiry is not the way. Reading more Nebuchim is not the way to get emuna, according to Rabbi Nachman's perspective. Why not? You know, Okay, I don't want to be so bold as to say that, but it, it seems from a Pasha, the reading of, uh, of Rabbi Nachman, that, that he's not for the philosophical. The truth is, there's a lot of people who disagree with the Ramam to say from it got burnt in the streets. Uh, a lot of people weren't so happy with, uh, at, at one point in Jewish history, with uh, certain perspectives of the Ramam. Um, so I don't think it would be too heretical to say that there's, there's another approach. There's, can you say, can you say that I don't know. I don't know enough to say uh, what exactly, uh, you know, every perspective in Chassidus has its own perspective, has its own angle at what we should stress. I don't know if it's necessarily a disagreement or more just a question of what we should focus on. Okay, so I don't know. I'm, I'm not a big enough lamdam to know if the mamas disagreed or just stressed a different thing. Okay, but in any case, the Rabbi Nachman writes many times that he's against this. He thinks it's going to confuse people. He thinks it's going to bring up questions that nobody really had. And that's not really the, the way of faith that we need to get towards, um, towards, towards coming close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Rather, faith is intuitive. Faith is in the neshama. Faith is natural. Imuna is built in to a Jew. Just the same way a mommy animal looks over her baby naturally, because that's just the animal. A Jew naturally believes in a Kaddish Baruch Hu in the Torah and mitzvahs passed down from the traditions of our parents and just immerse yourself in Torah and mitzvahs in a true and honest way and the dirt will go away and if you're sincere about it, you will hear the word of God. You will hear Hashem. You will hear just by, by doing Torah and mitzvahs with sincerity. And yes, singing and dancing is part of uh, Torah and mitzvahs from the Hasidic perspective. But that's only one part of it. And all doing all of Torah and Mitzvahs will naturally bring a person towards that Amuna. Now, of course, this is not only Rabbi Nachman's opinion. For example, Rav Meir Simcha of Davinsk, the Or Hachayim, no, I'm sorry, the the Meshachachma, the Meshachachma, uh, writes this in his commentary. He's a modern, and he writes, I have it written down, the Or Sameach. Meshachim Chachma and Shmos Yutas in our in our Torah portion writes: the Jewish soul is naturally inclined with an intense desire to fulfill the will of God, and therefore you don't need to do anything. Just get rid of all those other Yitzharahs. You know, the mashal I heard once is: imagine you're walking down the street and your cell phone's uh, ringing, or maybe it's buzzing, but you don't hear it because there's so much noise around you. 
But when you quiet things down and you listen to your inner voice, then it's there. You don't need to prove it. It's already naturally there. Okay? Personally, I'm in both camps. I think they're both absolutely true. I think the Hasidic approach is absolutely correct. And I also think it's helpful for, for a lot of people, not everyone, for a lot of people, to try to approach God also in an intellectual, also using our seichel, using our kochos as seichel. There's many different ways. I'm just, you know, simplifying things. Like a lot of people are just doing it I think that would basically be aligned with uh, th- with what Rabbi Nachman's perspective. And as I'm looking, I'm just going to throw myself into it, and by doing Torah mitzvahs, I'm going to come to the truth of it naturally. Um, I give a great, I think, an amazing story that I happen to have read this week, which I think uh, explains the Hasidic perspective. So in the 1950s, um, there was a, 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 he wasn't a rabbi, he was a, a kid. It's the Hirsch, that's his name, Tzvi Hirsch. And, and Tzvi Hirsch grew up in the 50s, and 50s in Borough Park. And the minog in the 50s in Borough Park for a lot of kids was to rebel, was to stop doing Torah and mitzvahs. Um, because after the Holocaust, there was a serious uh, shaila's questions that everyone had. There was a negative um, to a lot of the rabbis. Uh, you know, the education wasn't so persuasive. And there was just a spiritual decline. So this kid was in a from family. He was going to night seder, but in his free time, he'd go to college, study philosophical works, and he, if he was doing any mitzvahs, it was just to not make his parents uh, angry at him. And uh, one day, him and his friends hear about this new, new guy in Crown Heights named Shlomo Karlbach. And Shlomo Karlbach was doing little teachings in his house. And he would sing some niggins and try to answer their questions. And they said, listen, we got nothing else to do. Maybe this guy will help us out. And they snuck out a night center, went to the back door, you know, and uh, they went to the little uh, basement of Shlomo Karbach. And Shlomo, you know, sees them, gives them a big hug. He was like alone looking for some sfarim. And he introduced himself to, what's your name? Are you studying? Very good. And then they get down to business and the first kid asks like a tough question. My professors are telling me that these Torah and mitzvahs are just to keep the Jews different from the non-Jews. They're not, they're not, there's no truth in them. We don't really need them. It's just good enough to be a nice person. And, you know, Tzvirish asked his questions. Why would a big God care about all of the, all of these little details? What does it really matter? And the third guy asked a similar question. All these, all these Shilas, they were confused. They had a lot of philosophical questions and they were asking these questions. So the first thing Rabbi Shlomo did is he listened. Imamish listened to their questions and he really showed them that he cared. And then, he didn't answer their questions directly. He started taking out Rabbi Nachman. And then he started taking out Rabbi Sadia Hagaon. And he started immersing them in the teachings of these Hasidic rabbis. What's what Sefer Rabbi Sadia Hagaon? I'm sorry, not Rabbi Sadia Hagaon. That's the Munus Vadeus. I think um, it was uh, Rabbi Tzadok Hagaon. Tzadok Hagaon. Tzadok Hagaon. And he started teaching them how the world that we see is an illusion, like in Silas Yisharim says, and we don't see the full picture. And we live in a world of chaos, but if we could truly th- see the full picture, we would understand. And the Torah and mitzvahs are to raise our souls to a higher place, to be in a state of vacancy. I wasn't there, but answers to that extent. And they kept going. And at a certain point, Rosh Shlomo tells them, you know what? The Baal Shem Tov, Rabinat, I'm sorry, Rabinat, the Baal Shem Tov, no, it was Rabinat. Rabinat taught that everything in the world has a negative. 
Everything in the world has a song. And there's even a song for belief. But nobody knows what the song for belief is. But there was one man who knew the song of belief. The Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov knew the song of belief. And my whole life, Rav says, I'm looking for the song of belief. And then they started singing. And he took out his guitar and they started singing Ruach, you know, the Megan. And they just had a long kumzitz. And Svi Hirsch said he looked at the moon. And from then on, that after that night, he never had any questions of disbelief anymore. He doesn't know if Rav Shlomo ever found the song of belief that, uh, that uh, Baal Shem Tov uh, found, but he knows that he found his song of belief. He found in that basement in the 50s, and he never, I'm sure he had questions, but the questions almost uh, didn't matter anymore. And I, I very much connect to that story. Uh, it, it's, it's also, I at some point in yeshiva, I wrote down all of my questions on Judaism. Say something like that on a random night, you know, to find, find out about it. It's, 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 it's a brave approach, yeah. um, but you know, it worked. <laughs> you know, it, it, exactly. But okay, so th- that's the whole Indian, which is that as much as for the next however many weeks, however long you stay with me, I have a 20, 20 week course prepared, but however, until, until we'll, we're going to be giving rational intellectual, um, even scientific to, to, our, to the analytical explanations of why we think the odds are that there's a God. As much as that is a legitimate approach, uh, just have in the back of our heads this Rabbi Nachman, this Rav Shlomo approach, which is sometimes we just need that niggin, and our soul uh, will naturally connect to the truth of Torah and mitzvot um, beyond any uh, rational explanations. And it's amazing. In, in uh, Splitting of the Sea, what's the first thing that people do when they believe in Hashem? They sing. Not seven. Not seven, first, first they sing at the Splitting of the Sea. And Anastasia is another great example where they, they commit themselves to that relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, uh, even before they actually know what the, what the mitzvahs are. So, so clearly, it's, our belief in Hashem is more than a, a purely intellectual uh, approach clearly there's an emotional uh, um, emotional aspect Component. to that relationship and like like as I, I meant this this year probably is not such a chiddish but it's still I think just important that we put that down uh, before before we go forward and I was I was saying before the truth is I'm this is a little bit my story I had a lot of questions in, in Shiva I wrote down like a hundred questions on, on on Torah and and Judaism, and non-Jews, and, and women, and Gemara, and science, and really a lot, a lot of questions. I wrote down every question I could in Yeshiva. I gave it to a rabbi. The rabbi never gave it back to me with all the answers. But somehow I forged my own approach to Judaism. Did it give you back any answers? No. <laughs> not, not that, not saying that was a good approach. I'm just telling you. I, I personally, when someone asks me a question, I really do try to give them answers. But uh, we should recognize that there's an emotional uh, element in these questions. Uh, one more story. Um, I remember about three years ago, uh, I had a, a woman in my community who comes a lot of times to the Shabbos meals, and she had a lot of questions on Judaism. And my approach is my door is always open, or my phone, okay, my door is not always open, especially now that I'm married, but my, my phone's always open. You could always call me, and I'm always happy to discuss uh, matters of Torah and faith, the Simcha. I think that's the whole mission of a rabbi, to, to be there for people. And I was, she had all these questions. So I said, I'm very happy to answer all of your questions, or to try. But um, just one little question, because I, I knew this person and where she was coming from and her whole situation. And I said, 
if I gave you all of the answers to all of your questions, would you start um, embracing more halacha and Torah, etc.? She, to her credit, she thought about it and said, no, I wouldn't. Because I'm angry right now. I'm angry at God. She's having, she has a hard, she's going through a process. She's in a hard situation right now. And she doesn't really want intellectual answers for her questions. She just wants someone to vent to. That's okay. And I'm like, okay, I'll still hear you out. I'll still listen to your questions. Uh, and I'll still try, if, you, if you're curious, I'll, I'll try to give you answers to the best of my ability. But we need to recognize that we are uh, more than intellectual beings. We are emotional beings. And sometimes people are just angry at Torah and Judaism. Or, and and, and on, the other, on the flip side, we need to make Judaism enjoyable and fun and sweet so people will want to be uh, men of faith. Okay, so it's not just an intellectual um, matter. It is also an emotional aspect to, to Muna. Um, and we need to make Judaism and Torah as true, but also as uh, palatable and, and appealable so that people will want to jump into the into Torah and Mitzvahs. Yes? Um, my father is a Holocaust survivor, and he's Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. You see that after the Holocaust, some people lost their faith. Some people gained their faith, not just maintained their faith. They, they actually became more connected to Hashem through that traumatic experience. Wow. And, it's, and it's unbelievable, and unbelievable. and it's and it's our challenge every single day. You know, I remember it. I'll be honest. There, there are times in my life when I struggle with this a lot more. Uh, not because I had, uh, also because there, I was at times in you know heretical areas, and people had all these questions that also sometimes put my put me into a not so healthy space. But more usually went because um, because I was in a hard situation in life. Thank God, right now my life is you know very blessingful and. My, my wife, my kids, and, and, and things are good. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. On a personal level, obviously, we're all in, in this war. We're all, you know, davening nonstop for Am Yisrael. We're all, but, but on a personal level, things are amazing. But there are times in my life when th- things are very, very challenging. Um, and not that I ever doubted um, Hashem. I, I very much felt a deep relationship with Hashem, and I've had dozens of miracles, ways of Hashem talk to me. He's constantly communicating with me. But it just was hard to, to wake up with a fire to daven and to learn and when, uh, when, you're, when you're sad, you know, when you're broken. And, and so I, I, I felt the need at times in my life. I needed to go for a run every day before davening. I'd go for a run and I'd put on a cheesy podcast about Amuna. You know, it was David Ashir living, not cheesy in a good way, you know, story, miracle stories or Ashkacha Pratis or one of these Rebbe miracles or whatever did it for me. Um, because Amuna is not something that you learned once and then you go on with your life. Amuna is just like, it's like your morning coffee. You need your, your morning boost of, of Amuna to Mechazik Aramuna. Um, it's not a, a one. No, because, you know, we got other things to take it, to, to do. Like, hey, you, don't, you drink your coffee and you move on with your day, you know? But uh, for me, at least, that, that even five minutes of Amuna boost 
gave me the, the, the smile, the kick to, for the rest of my Avodah Hashem. Um, so yeah, so Amuna I think is a daily thing, and Chassidus believes it's natural. Uh, this is also aligned well, it's one second, with the, the, the famous Gemara, that what were we all doing for nine months in our mother's womb? Gemara Nida says we were learning Torah. In other words, it's intuitive, it's natural, it's built in to a Yid, this connection to Torah and mitzvahs, and what we need to do is clear away all that dirt and all the noise in the background, and we'll naturally connect to that Amuna Pshuta. Yes, Daniel? Four minutes. I think because uh, because that's the way Hashem wanted it to be, and because He wants us to struggle. That's the whole point of life. He wants us to struggle and earn that relationship with Him, and that's just the nature of of any relationship. It's the same thing with your wife or with a, a child. It's not an always constant, I'm always in love with her like that first night at the wedding. There's an up and a down, and there's constant work in creating uh, that beautiful relationship. And so Amuna is basically, we need to constantly re, re, reinvigorate. Now that we understand Amuna much more deeply, that's not simply an intellectual understanding, that it's an intellectual and emotional uh, understanding. Uh, you, you, we constantly need that reinforcement, and that's what makes it value. That's, that's, uh, that's, I think that's what makes it a special experience. So again, my whole, the whole uh, theory of this year is that Amuna, if, if your Rebbe taught you, it means believe, you gotta believe. Belief is not simply to intellectually know something, but it's to also emotionally internalize something. It means, for example, I'm trying to make it real. You could have a guy, a doctor, and he knows very well that smoking is bad for you. He knows. He, he knows as well as anybody else. And he still smokes, even though he knows it's going to kill him. Why does he do that? Because intellectually he knows. But emotionally he doesn't care. He cares more about the, the pleasure of, uh, of that cigarette smoke right now than he does about about uh, about about uh, the, the importance of living a long life and being healthy. So we, he needs to figure out ways in order to get that intellectual understanding into his heart. How does he do that? We have to think about it. Maybe it's watching those commercials, which you know scare the heck out of you, showing you your lung, or or whatever it is, or just uh, you know. I'll give you maybe a more down to earth example. I I I I watched this uh, video about the, how bad sugar is for your body, how bad added sugar is for your body a few years back. And I, I was really like into it and I decided that's it. No more added sugar. No more Sprite, no more Coke, no more cake, no more cookies. Zo, I'm going to be a healthy guy. I'm going to have, you know, I could have smoothies. That's fine. But even Ben and Jerry's. And then with time, you know, I stopped thinking about it. So first I said, Ben and Jerry's done Shabbos. You know, make it special for Shabbos, you know. Um, and then I said, you know, well, once I'm going to do Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh, and then weddings, and then like, oh, whenever I'm in the mood, <laughs> and then I'm back to my old uh, sugarful self. The truth is, I'm not, thank God, I'm not, I'm not where I used to be. Um, I'm a little bit more balanced. Uh, I, but what I need to do, if, I, if, if that's my priority, I need to rewatch that video, 
that I first saw or a new video about the, how bad sugar, added sugar is for your diet. I'm not here to lecture you about added sugar. I'm just telling you that's a practical example of you might know something intellectually, but we humans need constant reinforcement emotionally, intellectually, constant, constantly, till we die. That's just the way Hashem created us. Ah, so that's exactly part three, which I didn't really have time to get to. Get to uh, but exactly, exactly. And I think that's why Hashem doesn't do big open miracles as often in our generation. Well, he did it at Har Sinai. And he did it, but now, for the most part, it's hidden miracles. It's the subtle miracles. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Okay, I'll, I'll say it really quick. What happens right after Har Sinai? What's the first thing that we do? Egel. What's, what is the first thing Adam and Chava do after God reveals himself to them? They rebel. Okay, if you know the story with, uh, with Elisha and Eliyahu and, and, and Har Carmel, what happens after the whole people say, we believe in God, and Hashem Hu Elokim, Hashem Elokim, they go back to their old ways. So the Torah, it's a pattern. The Torah seems to be showing us, sometimes miracles help, okay? Miracles are good. I mean, we had Egypt and all those, all that stuff. So clearly there's some value in, in miracles. I'm not anti-miracle. But sometimes they don't work. It's miracles every day. Oh, and the, the essence is to be like Danish says. The essence is to be like Moshe Rabbeinu who, who goes by the burning bush and sees the small little miracle. Wow, there's a little fire and, and, and the tree. And, and he from there learns the, the small miracles in life. It's about and I, a thrill, not about a miracle. Because like he said, there are miracles every day. But what, when do miracles become miracles? When it's thrilling. And thrilling is something that doesn't happen every day. Exactly. And so the avoida of our life is to translate those small miracles and to really look for a shem in those smart miracles. And then the amazing thing is, once you start looking for Hashem, He reveals Himself in many, many ways. And I, from personal experience, when you're looking for it, He shows Himself all the time, especially when you're learning Torah. When you're learning Torah, you can, it, it's the easiest way. And Bezvat Hashem will have time. We'll tell you some more stories about that. But uh, I don't want to be too, I don't want to extend my time, do my, over my time. But it, just to sum up, what we learned today is that Amuna is a lot deeper than intellectual. It's an emotional trust experience. And we said that there's the intellectual approach and there's the natural intuitive approach. And the big miracles are sweet. But uh, the key for our generation is to find the Kaddish Baruch Hu through the small miracles and create that beautiful relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And that's it for this week. And next week, we're going to begin our course. We're going to be learning about predictions of the Torah which have unbelievably uh, come true in a statistically improbable way. We may have two, two classes on that topic showing all of the unbelievable uh, predictions in the Torah, which, which came true, which I think are, can be a source of our belief in the Lord Almighty. Thank you to every single one of you for coming. Made my Wednesday. And I can't wait to... Uh, I hope you come again and maybe tell your friend. It'll be fun. What? Ah, yeah. Ah, thank you so much. Beautiful blanket. I should send you a picture of Alicia. You want to see? Uh, you want to see him? I have. You have a picture. No, we have a new video. He's all big and cute now. I heard. He's a big. He's a big cute. He's a growing boy. And Bruch uh, Hashem. He's a handful. My mom had yesterday. I was giving a shear to some group in like Zimbabwe. And then Alicia needed his diaper change. So I had to close the shear and do his diaper. 
Hello, it's good times. Thank you. Thank you. It's about the sham, but it's supposed to be here. It's a great, uh, great because I've never actually been here before. So I can feel the kedusha, feel the feel the simcha. I'm excited myself and tell the rabbis. I don't really know them yet. I got a call from Rabbi Levi Diamond. That's all, that's the only person I met. 